Welcome, citizens of Gotham, to the Fire Rises, a Batman podcast focusing on all things the Dark Knight and his world. If you'd like to connect with the show, you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at TFRBatPod. And if you'd like to contact the show, you can send us an email at TFRBatPod at gmail.com. Now, my name is Eric Carter, and I am your host, and today we have an extremely special episode. We have the unique opportunity of interviewing the author of the book, Release the Snyder Cut, Sean O'Connell. And joining me for that interview is my old pal, Joe Fornerado. Joe, how are you doing? I am doing good, Eric. I'm really excited to, uh, to get to speak to Sean about this book. Um, it'll, it'll be a really fun episode. Yeah, it, yeah, it will. And the book, it, you, you read the book a few weeks ago, oh, yeah, correct? Before the, yeah. yeah. So the book came out, what, a week before the movie? I think so. Yeah, I think it came out uh, the Tuesday prior. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so it was interesting um, reading it before the movie came out. And now, you know, I was going back over a few things today. And it's it's interesting looking at some of the stuff in there, knowing how the movie ended up, uh, you know, afterwards. So it'll be fun to talk to Sean after the movie's release and see, you know, what he has to say about certain things. Yeah, for sure, especially seeing as this book kind of started as one thing and morphed into another because this book was in its early stages and, and well, actually, it was almost complete before the announcement even came that we were getting the movie. So that's going to be fascinating to, to talk to Sean and, and, and see just how things changed. Yeah, I know he actually had like a different um... – whether it be the epilogue of the book or, or the final chapter, I think he's even said he had it written um, with the fact that the movie wasn't going to be released yet. And so he, he changed it up and, you know, when, when the announcement happened. So yeah, it'll be really fun to get the, uh, the inside take on all that stuff. Absolutely. And um, he has, uh, he was kind enough, which, which he'll do for anyone as, as long as you contact him and, uh, and get the info. But he, he was kind enough to, to personalize my copy of the book for, for myself and the podcast. So that, that was really awesome. Um, but I'm assuming he's still doing that. We'll ask him on the, on, in the interview, but, uh, he, yeah, he was very, he was very friendly and welcoming about just, you know, send him the book with return postage and he'll get it signed and, and he, he personalizes it for you and sends it back to you. Now you haven't done that yet, right, Joe? No, I haven't. I did contact him about it and, and he gave me the same instructions he gave you and mm-hmm. he is more than happy to do it for anybody. Yeah. So without further ado, we're going to get into our interview with the author of release the Snyder cut, Mr. Sean O'Connell. of Gotham, we are joined by the author of Release the Snyder Cut, the crazy true story behind the fight that saved Zack Snyder's Justice League, Mr. Sean O'Connell. Sean, thank you so much for coming on. How are you? I'm great, guys. Good to be with you. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Awesome. Now, anytime we have a new guest on the podcast, we we like to start with uh, just asking, what is your history and your connection with the character of Batman? Oh my gosh. Well, let's see. Um, I read Batman comics as a kid 
um, and loved. And that's part of the reason why I wish. Well, of course, I watched the Adam West show uh, all the time growing up as well, too. That was prevalent in my childhood. Um, mm-hmm. And that's part of the reason why. How come we haven't seen a live action, like a really proper um, gray spandex Batman with like a with a bright blue cape and cowl? Like, don't you guys want to see that? Am I the only one who, who wants to see that version of Batman play out sometime in a film? I think there's a lot of people asking for that. Yeah. I think that would look so sick. Um, so, you know, Batman comics, uh, Adam West, Batman, obviously the Burton films, uh, love the Burton films, but, you know, shifted away from, from DC comics and, and got heavily into Marvel, but always loved Batman. Always loved the fact that, you know, that he has uh, without question, the greatest uh, villain entourage, you know, rogues gallery, uh, the most mm-hmm. memorable. And uh, I love that he's open to so much interpretation that he is, you know, one of the most covered uh, and and attempted uh, superhero character in, in all sorts of medium to the point where you get, you know, shows like Gotham and and multiple animated movies that are that are based off of significant and memorable uh, Batman graphic novels. And uh, yeah, he's he's a character that just keeps on giving. Absolutely, he is. Well. You you've written the book, and and first of all, now we we actually have the movie. So what what were your thoughts on the film? Oh my god, uh, it's crazy because I I had probably had to watch it twice before it fully registered that like it existed. <laughs> <laughs> right, I think Even, it was all of us. Yeah, especially the first time through. Like the first time through is a wash because you're just really spending every moment watching every scene. And just saying, like, how is this? How is it possible that this is here? Um, so, I've watched it five times, start to finish. It's it's such a it's such a remarkable film. Um, you know, it's excessive. <laughs> it's <laughs> four hours is a lot, and I I would argue that there's probably a brilliant three hour movie um, that that you could edit it down to. But yet, I wouldn't get rid of anything. That's in it because I totally understand that it's like if Zach is viewing it at his at his as his opportunity to get the the most unfiltered version of his Justice League story, then God bless him, you know, pack it all in. But uh, I love the fact now that finally, because this is this was always sort of an in for me in terms of this story, uh, especially being as big of a Marvel fan that I am like I'm thrilled with the Avengers movies that I've mm-hmm. gotten, that Marvel fans have gotten, uh, that the MCU has been able to produce. And I always wanted DC fans to have their equivalent. You know, I wanted them to have a live action film of all the characters that they love and seeing them in live action for the first time. And I feel that that now it exists, you know, that there are tremendous versions of, of Flash and Cyborg. And Aquaman had his own movie, but he gets time to shine here. And, you know, uh, we get to see more of Affleck's Batman, which I think is tremendous, and and it restores Superman to to his his pedestal, and so um it accomplishes so much. I'm just it just makes me so happy. Now, did you watch the uh, the Justice is Gray version? So I've skipped around through the Justice is Gray. I haven't watched it fully in right. its entirety, uh, but I watched key se- key sequences, and it's just gorgeous. It's gorgeous. I mean, it's. It's got a weird retro feel to it. You know, it kind of feels like a, a dated movie. Um, mm-hmm. But so much of it looks great in in, in the black and white. So uh, I love the fact that Zach is able to put that out. Well, I think I, I honestly I'm not a big fan of, of black and white versions of films. I, I didn't. I'll watch them. But like the the black and white version of Mad Max and the black and white version of Logan. I yeah. I, I watched them and I appreciate what they were going for. I think Joe appreciates it more than I do, but I'm just, I don't know. I just, if it's in color, I want that color. I can yeah, totally I go with the color. That. I go with the color first, but I think it's like with justice league, if I've watched it like three or four times in a row, it's like, oh, I'll check out the black and white again. And it just, there's something about the, the way it's mastered with the, the HDR or the Dolby vision effect on it, that it really, it's, it's weird to say the color pops more in black and white, but I think you can see that range in, in the effects. And I think the visual effects look really great in black and white. Yeah, I can agree with that. So with the book and and you cover, you cover bits, we're not going to dive into 
the minute details of the book. That's what reading the book is for. But <laughs> what made you select the subject matter of this book, Sean? Really just because as somebody who's been covering the film industry for this long, uh, I, I've been covering it for over 20 years now at this point. Um, I've never seen a story like this. I've never seen a, a, a group of fans stay motivated long enough to fight for something that they knew uh, was, was wrong uh, and to try their best to write it. Like you just don't see, uh, you know, David going against <laughs> the Goliath of the film industry and, and winning. And so, you know, even before, even before we figured out that the cut was coming, I had started writing this book. I started writing this book two years ago. And when I, when I embarked on it, there was no buzz or word that the cut was actually going to come. But I wanted to document the number of things that the people in the Snyder Cut movement were doing because I found them to be pretty, to be pretty remarkable, you know, like to, to, to get organized online and to, and to launch a very successful marketing campaign, a grassroots marketing campaign by, by essentially creating one of the best slogans you know that, that anyone's ever seen in in film history like everyone knows what release the snyder cut means whether you're mm. you know associated with dc film or not and that comes from the fans and um you know I, I i grew really enamored with the things that the movement was doing out in public to to raise awareness for the for the cut of this movie and whether it was you know the billboards that they were renting and the, the letter writing campaigns, the flying the airplanes over Burbank, like all of this stuff was really hilarious to me and impressive. And uh, and then once I learned the charitable aspect of it and the amount of stuff that they were doing for AFSP in the name of Autumn Snyder, um, I really started to think that like, there's a story here. There's 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 enough here for a book at the very least. And and I started putting the, uh, putting the time in to build a, <clears throat> to build the template essentially like a, a format for what the book would look like. And then, and then I took several months to sort of ship it around um, and see if I could get a publisher engaged in it. So the whole process was, was really rewarding. It had, you know, a lot of, cha a lot of challenges, but every time you sort of took another step forward and it became closer to reality, it, it was a fun project from that perspective. And then of course, you know, to get, to get the cut confirmed, uh, before the book finishes is remarkable. All of that's remarkable. Well, the, the publisher you brought up, I was going to, that was going to be my next question. What was the process like of getting a publisher to sign on for something like this? It's so you basically just put together a proposal and you um, blind send it out to publishers who either have published other books in your field or, you know, or you, you think might be interested in like, nonfiction stories um and you try to use you essentially try to sell them on it whether they think that you know it's an interesting enough story that they could take it to market and it took um from august to december of 2019 if i remember correctly if i'm, <laughs> if I'm doing the math right um from august mm -hmm. until december and it was uh, honestly like I, I pitched over 100 publishers and i heard back from a lot you get a ton of rejections you know you get a ton of, of people who say uh this just isn't the kind of book that I'm looking for. The the one critique I got from most people was that this sounds like a really interesting um, magazine cover, like a feature story, but I don't see it being book length. Mm. And but I always, I honestly always believed that once I started to get into the heart of the movement and who the people were who were who were doing this fighting, that there was plenty of story there to tell. And um, it, the hardest part about it was that. It was a, a, a constantly evolving story. You know, it was almost like there was always another new thing happening. And so I was racing the clock to make sure I included as many timely things as I could. Um, but what what I think some people don't understand, because I've seen a lot of critique that says, like, this doesn't even really this book doesn't talk about the movie. Well, because the book got turned in, you know, like July of 2020. <laughs> Like Zach hadn't even started doing the additional photography yet because of the way that a book publishes. It takes so long you know, to get it out into the market. So um, there's plenty of stuff that happened after the fact, but at least this book was able to document and end right with uh, that May 20th, 2020 announcement that Zach made that it's coming to HBO Max. Hmm. Well, it, it's so funny you say that about, you know, the release, you know, happening. Like, it, it probably would have been so much easier for this book to get published if you looked for a publisher 
prior to the movie being announced. Because, Absolutely. I mean, that's like, it's almost like a victory lap for you at that point when it is announced. <laughs> and, and that had to have been almost a sigh of relief or, or like, can you talk about that a little bit? Like when it was actually, when you found out the movie was happening, how did that make you feel knowing that this book was coming out? I mean, I screamed out loud in, <laughs> in shock and awe, you know, because I, I, I've honestly since made the comparison that it's like, it'd be trying to th throw a dart, you know, at a bullseye on a board that's moving in a random pattern, you know, at 80 miles an hour. There's no way you could plan. You could not plan it. Like it, it, when you understand how much time is built into uh, the editing, the layout, you know, uh, the production and publishers pick their dates, release dates for, for books almost a year in advance. They almost announce what's on their calendar, uh, a full calendar year before anything comes because they want to get the market excited for it. And my publisher, thankfully, always treated this as a different book because they knew they wanted to try to time it to the release of the, of the movie. And it was like I was done with the book and I, had, I was going over it in final edits. I had one more month left to just go through and, and just keep what you do is you just keep rereading. You reread it. You reread it. You fact check. You just keep going over it again and again. And I was getting ready to turn it in. And then Zach announced that the movie was coming. And my publisher was like. Because by this point now, so many of the wheels have been turning in terms of marketing and in terms of production schedules. And they said, look, we can give you one more month. You know, we can push it back a month, but you have to deliver it by July, essentially. And I said, all right, let's go. And I just, I did a, you, you mentioned victory lap. That's a perfect word for it. I did a victory lap with everybody who I had spoken to and basically said like, hey, you did it. <laughs> you know, uh, how do you feel now kind of thing? And I was able to get a lot of that insight and reaction into it. And then of course, you know, that's when Zach was able to come on and do an official interview for the book and talk about how he felt, you know, crossing the finish line and, and how uh, appreciative he was of the fans for, for helping him make this reality. That's, that's awesome. And it, that is one of the greatest parts of the book is actually getting that, that back and forth with Zach um, so that I was going to ask if, if the book was finished, uh, when the announcement came, but yeah, you've, you've just said it was so that that's wow. It so, was, but I had to, so I had to completely rewrite, um, the first chapter of the book. I, right. I ripped out the existing chapter that was there because it didn't make sense. It was set up in a way that was just like, here is proof that the cut exists kind of thing. Um, and it documented a bunch of different things that sort of along the way had had shown Zach to prove that a cut existed. But then mm -hmm. none of that was relevant anymore. And I had to completely redo. I, I redid a, the whole first chapter. And then you sort of went through and there were a lot of references in the book that were things like if this happens, you know, or somewhere. And I got to change it all to like coming HBO Max. And it was like they were the best kind of edits to make because it was all very positive. Um, but but yeah, it had to be it had to be reworked and reworked pretty quickly. Well, you touch on that in the book. It did. <laughs> yeah. So you you touch on that in the book though about how the changes were made. Um, how, how was the release of the book coordinated after the announcement was realized? Like, I mean, once you guys figured out the movie was coming, did you guys consult consult with Zach? Did that change the the release date or anything like that? Not at all. Um, what we were trying to figure out was I've have I do have some contacts at HBO Max and mm -hmm. I was um trying to stay in touch with them as much as I could to figure out and honestly they were not telling me anything um and I don't know if it's because they truly didn't know when it was going to come out um because I think what was going on and none of this is really confirmed but Zach had to do that additional photography but you know covid was still slowing everything down so I don't know if he knew 100% when he was going to be able to pull it off uh, and when he would be able to get the actors back, you know, for the scenes that he wanted to shoot, which we now know are the nightmare scenes that end the film. Mm -hmm. So all of that was kind of holding up HBO Max from determining when they were going to put it out. But we were flying blind in terms of the book. I knew they wanted more than anything to come out before the movie was released. They wanted it to act uh, as a primer, essentially, for people who don't know what the movie is or what the fight was. And um, so they had announced first quarter 
you know, of, of 2021. It's always going to be first quarter. But we could have been told by HBO Max that they were going to release it in November of this year. Like, who knew? Nobody mm. knew. Um, and so literally, we, uh, my publisher told me February 15th. Um, they delayed it to March 1st because of production issues. Like, COVID has really affected almost everything. Um, it wasn't just the film production and Hollywood production, but it really slowed down book production and book sales and, and the way that things get distributed internationally. Like all of that's been affected by this. So the release dates have always been kind of fluid. And so the fact that the book arrived 17 days before the movie came out is beyond impossible. Like I will never, for as long as I live, I will never wrap my brain around the fact that this book came out, uh, you know, more a little more than two weeks before the movie hit it just it just shouldn't happen but it, but it did it did against all odds and you're absolutely right i mean I, if if that's what hbo max wanted was a primer it it came at a perfect time i know so many people were excited to 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 read the book as a lead up to the movie that's that's exactly what i did so Man, that's it's got to be cool to know, even as a nostalgic thing, looking back years down the road, that this book is a is a key part of that momentum going towards the movie. How how cool is that? Well, it's, I mean, it's nice of you to say, and uh, I hope that that's the case. I, I've heard from a lot of people in the movement who have said, "Thank you for this book because I can hand this to." Um, you know, friends and family members who have heard me talking about this nonstop for three years. And this gives them a good sense of, of what we'd been talking about this whole time. Like I had to make a conscious decision pretty early in the process of like, who is the audience for this book going to be? Is it going to be drilled down, you know, specific details for everybody who is just, you know, eating and, and drinking and sleeping this all the time anyway? Um, or is this going to be a, a step or two back and, and a bigger picture look? And, you know, it was, it was my agent, honestly, who said, like, look, you, you'll you'll reach more uh, eyeballs and you'll serve a bigger audience if it's a little more accessible, a little bit more mainstream. And so that's where I sort of uh, expanded the narrative to, to include sort of the rise of superhero films, um, the establishment of the DC culture at Warner Brothers. Zach's mm -hmm. introduction to the universe. Like I wanted to set the stage for all of that. I know that there's plenty of people who adore Zack Snyder and adore these movies. They're going to read this and say, well, God, of course we know all this, but I wanted to put it into some kind of a context so that, yeah, you know, when people come around and, um, and start to figure out what happened with this, with this justice league, because the, everyone who watches it is going to say like, well, this is the much better version. You know, <laughs> why did we even get that 2017 version? And then this book is sitting here waiting for them to sort of explain what happened. But, you know, I rolled the dice a little bit on this as well, too, because, and so I say this, and, and people don't really believe me. When I sat down to write this story, it wasn't really about the movie itself because, like, the movie could have been bad, you know? <laughs> like, it, there were plenty of rumors that Warner Brothers didn't like the version that Zack screened for them. You know, there are plenty of rumors that talk about the fact that, that they're, that's why they torpedoed his cut in the first place. And so I could have written a book about a, people who fought to get a, a film released and that film could have been, you know, Battlefield Earth for all we know. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> but yeah, who, I, who knew? Who knew? <laughs> so, yeah, from that standpoint, well, not only it, was, that. it was, it was one heck of a roll of the dice. Go ahead, Joe. Well, it, it just think about how bittersweet this book would have been to read without an announcement. Like this book became a celebration but it's hard to go back and think, okay, what if we didn't get that announcement on May 20th? It wouldn't have been a fun read for us. Like it would have been, it would have been interesting to read it. And you all, like we were all ready to read it anyway. We all pre-ordered this, I think, or, or at least knew about the book prior to the announcement, but it, it just knowing that the movie was coming. And like you said, Sean, like the fact that it came out March 1st and the movie came out March 18th, it was just a fun lead up for all of us. And like you said too, like, I already gave this to my cousin to read like this is hey this is the crap I've been talking about for the last like four years like this is all you need to know right here because 
I have friends that are annoyed as hell at me because I'm constantly, you know, hashtag release the Snyder Cut on stuff. And I'll post a picture of my daughter on Instagram and a friend will put release the Snyder Cut underneath the picture just above the job. <laughs> like, it's just, that's the way it's been for the last, like, four or five years. So I think that's the the best part about this is, like, I can't even imagine, even for you, let alone for us being the readers, reading this without that announcement. Like, it, it just... It just was the perfect storm that we did get to read this as a celebration and as a lead up to the movie. Yeah, and I did put a lot of thought into hoping to make the book still work, you know, regardless of whether the movie was coming or not. And of course, it wouldn't be, like you said, it wouldn't be nearly as good or nearly as celebratory. But I did think it was pretty important to at least kind of capture a snapshot of what this movement had done for three years. You know, like... I thought that their achievements were were still worth documenting um, just to show, because there's so many fan bases that try to do certain things. Um, and they make a lot of noise for a couple of weeks, maybe a couple of months. Uh, and then they, then they move on to the next thing, you know? And the Snyder Cut movement always impressed me for the fact that they had stayed together and grew for as long as they did. And, and exactly what you talked about you know, it's because of their relentlessness um, and the way that, that the members themselves, the members of the movement almost branded themselves as ambassadors for the release of Snyder Cut movement that, you know, you could post, you could post something and your friends underneath you are using the hashtag. Uh, that's a remarkable achievement, you know? And so even if the movie hadn't come out, I still thought that the movement deserved to be celebrated for that reason. But But of course the movie is is more than the cherry on top. You know, it's the whipped cream and like two other scoops of ice cream. Awesome, man. That, yeah, that's, it's, it's almost like it's happenstance. Uh, it, it was, it was almost meant to be that the movie got announced. <laughs> like Joe said, it, it would have been, it would have been a very different experience had it not happened. But one of the most fascinating parts about the book is your, your actual interactions with Zach, like your set visit, on the original f- photography for the film. So what is it like to interact with Zach? Cause we've heard he's just such a, such a nice guy. So what was your experience with him? So I went to two sets and both of them are um, documented in the book and they're both completely different experiences. Um, one was for justice league when it was uh, 2016 and it was still his movie. And the other one was for army of the dead. Mm-hmm. He's He's an incredible filmmaker who is um, extremely immersed in the process, especially in Army of the Dead, when he's doing his own, um, he's, he's, he's his own director of photography. So he's essentially running around with a camera on his shoulder uh, in a casino, in a burned out casino in Atlantic City that's been decorated to look like a zombie apocalypse. And it's, it's a rush to watch him do this. You know, he's a kid in a candy store. Um, the Justice League one was obviously more calculated. You know, they were trying to send a message to the journalists that were in attendance that this was a, a, a change in tone, you know, that that the days of Batman versus Superman uh, and the seriousness of, of DC heroes being against each other was going to shift. And now that we've seen the Snyder Cut, we know that, that that's actually the case, you know, that there was a tonal shift to, to be a little bit more uplifting. So Zach was... I also feel that like what we saw on set the day that we went to the Justice League set, we we saw the scene where um, Commissioner Gordon meets Batman, Wonder Woman, Flash, and Cyborg on the rooftop. And oh, that's a great scene to bring media in for. <laughs> <laughs> but what I'm telling you, like we saw the rooftop is, you know, half constructed. There's mm-hmm. a physicalness to the rooftop, but then it's just green screen, you know, like it's it's a huge thing of green screen. And we would watch them, you know, film film some lines, run some lines. Um, but a blockbuster moves at the pace of legitimately, you know, a, a gigantic cruise ship. So you're not seeing much. Um, and you get the actors in between and they're in costume and they're explaining how, you know, what this is going to be like. But, but it moves much slower. Like I thought with Army, Zach was, you know, a force. You know, he's running all around. He's, he's shooting almost indie style. And and having a great time with it, so um, yeah, he he's a joy to watch. But dude, he's super um, intelligent. He's super detail oriented. You know, he's he's so in on the process that everything about him is just is just wild to 
to observe. And he's one of those filmmakers that I could sit and listen to, you know, talk about the craft for, for hours at a time. That's amazing. I know uh, Joe being from New Jersey, he was, he was very intrigued about the, the army of the dead set visit that you had. Yeah. Cause um, I was really curious also just to piggyback on the justice league set visit. What, what was the morale like on the justice league set visit in comparison to the army of the dead set visit? Because I mean, you hear all the, the crazy stuff about, you know, with, with the repercussions of BVS and, and how everything kind of unfolded, you hear that Zach is such a gentleman and always trying to make things fun, even though he is very serious in what he's doing. Was the morale still up for the Justice League um, set visit? Or absolutely. was it kind of... Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, to, to the point where, like, we interviewed Ray Fisher and Ezra Miller together, and the two of them were bouncing off of each other, you know, their energy. Um, we got a little bit of time with Gal, not much. We got a decent amount of time with Ben. And at the time, you have to remember, um, Ben was also working on his script for his solo Batman film, you know? So he was giving a little bit of insight into that. Um, but they were all still, this was you know, obviously before Zach had left, obviously before any of the reshoots. Um, so they were still 100% bought into the idea that like this was the movie they were building towards. And uh, yeah, absolutely the morale on that was so high. What was different about Army of the Dead is that, and I didn't even really put this to paper before we were there, is that Zach hadn't shot anything you know, between leaving Justice League and Army. That Army is his first, I think he worked on some short stuff, um, you know, just to, in his own free time, but this was his first real feature. And so when we got to talk to people like Dave Batista, you know, it was just great to hear them talk about how professional, you know, and how invested uh, Zach and Debbie are as a team, you know, because Debbie sort of walked us through uh, a ton of storyboards for the, for the movie and big ideas that they have for it. Like, I, you guys saw that first trailer like that, that isn't scratching the surface about what army of the dead is going to do. Um, and it's just, it was so much fun to see Zach getting super excited about, you know, he, he knew it was a return to uh, the zombie genre for him, but he wanted to make it very clear that it's not really piggybacking off of uh, his Dawn of the dead in any way, shape or form. It's just, you know, it's, it's a whole new thing. It's, it's two genres that he couldn't wait to sort of mash together in the, uh, you know, casino heist and, and the zombie genre. <laughs> and and now with the army set visit you know without giving away you know you touch on it in the book but that kind of like meeting zach knowing that justice league hadn't been released yet if i'm correct when you actually went on that visit correct um so was it like you were dan were you dancing around the subject of justice league and and how was zach as far as talking about justice league because you know, I'm sure you were nervous about asking or didn't want to talk about it, but like, it's it's such a tough thing for Zach because he's obviously very excited about Army of the Dead, but it didn't seem like he was against talking about Justice League. It wasn't like the, you know, the unwritten thing to not address it. No, he, it wasn't at all. Um, and a lot of times in situations like that, you'll get told by publicists, um, no questions about fill in the blank, you know? Uh, we're only here to talk about this. And and we got nothing like that uh, before going into this situation. So we all, the journalists that were there had sort of an unwritten, like, we're going to have to, we're going to have to bring it up at some point, <laughs> at some point, you know, like nobody's really gotten a chance to speak to him about, about Justice League yet. And here we are kind of thing. Um, so there, it was over lunch because for the most part, we sat around and watched him film. Uh, but it's not like he was walking us through the entire thing. He was extremely busy. Like there's no one busier on the set of a, of a working film than the director, obviously. And so mm -hmm. we all sat down for lunch and Zach came over and sat with us. And we did sort of an informal interview uh, during all of that. And of course, talked a ton about Army and talked a ton about, you know, his preparations for it. And, and it just sort of naturally evolved around to, uh, you know, the fans who the conversation kind of went from like, do you want your, are your DC fans going to follow you uh, to this new story? And, you know, he, he said very clearly, he, he hoped that they would, you know, that, that he, he thought people were invested in him as a film, as a filmmaker and, and invested in his whole filmography. And it's not just, not just DC stuff. Um, and then, you know, we just kind of eased into the conversation about, about the Snyder cut. And he talked a lot about how, um, 
by this point, this was October of 2019. And so the movement, it was very shortly after the movement purchased the Times Square billboards. And mm -hmm. I kind of went to that set um, selfishly wanting to get a feel of how he felt about the movement um, and about the push for the Snyder Cut. Because I've said this in, in multiple interviews, like he's the only one on earth who had the power to say to the people in the Snyder Cut movement, like, guys, it's time to give up. You know, it's time to move on sort of thing. Uh, I appreciate everything that you're doing, but there is no cut, you know, despite what you're seeing online sort of thing. And so I kind of went to that set to see what he was going to say. And, and that day on that set, when he made it very clear that he would never, ever tell them to stop because he thought that that would diminish everything that they've accomplished up to that point. Um, you know, and that he was going to stay positive and, and hope, help them stay as hopeful as possible. Uh, then, then I was like, oh, okay, if he's in 100%, if, if he's on board, then, then I'm going to try to tell this story. And so it was, it was hearing that directly from him, you know, and, and his enthusiasm for it that sort of pushed me a little bit further down this road, but he was all in, he was all in on it at that point. Yeah. That was actually yeah. one of my favorite parts of the book because it was that reassurance for all of us that like we were right because we all felt like, yeah, Zach would have told us by now, you know, guys, you know, it's, it's okay. I'm good. But he, he wasn't ready to move on yet, which is nice to, you know, to hear that he supported everybody in the movement and he was actually more, it was a, it was a mutual thing between him and the fans where everyone was kind of doing it for the other. And I think a lot of that is where restore the Snyderverse is as well too. Um, you know, he's ultimately the general, you know, who's, who's ordering, not ordering, <laughs> Uh, dictating the the direction that the army is going in, right? Like they mm -hmm. all take their marching orders from Zach, and Zach always is going to have the ability to to one way or the other um, say keep going or or back off a little bit, and um, and so yeah, I, I think they'll continue to keep an eye on on his suggestions or movements, and and right now it's it's a lot of you know keep watching, drive up the numbers. I'm still stunned mm -hmm. that we don't that we don't have numbers. I know it's frustrating for a streaming service that the streaming service doesn't have to reveal their numbers. That it's not like a box office thing where you can just tell at the end of a weekend. And it's always been frustrating that streaming services pick and choose what they share. You know that they and especially when you get like you, you kind of get some response from Godzilla versus Kong, which was the very next movie released, and you're like, well, why didn't we? You know, <laughs> well, Netflix is just as guilty of it. You know, it, it's been largely all of the streaming services who pick and choose what they want to share. And mm -hmm. I do a podcast with um, two of my friends, uh, Jake Hamilton and Kevin McCarthy. And we talk about this a lot because Jake is extremely skeptical of any time a streaming service shares their numbers because he's like, it's total bullshit. Like, you're only telling us when you when you say it's good. <laughs> You know, but how do we know that all these other things are doing well or not doing well? And it's all relative to whatever. Same thing with streaming services, too. Like, I don't know. It, you're not telling us the duration that something got watched. You know, um, if someone watched something for 10 minutes, I think it counts as a view. So if someone watched a Snyder Cut for a half an hour and then bailed out on it, you know, that's a view, I guess. And and HBO Max could, could share that if they wanted to. But uh, we talked about how it's, it's so much optics, you know, leading into this and they, they know the numbers are going to get translated uh, positively and negatively as soon as they are revealed. So they're either never going to reveal them uh, or they're absolutely waiting to, to figure out the right time to, to announce what they are. Well, and I think there's no, I think there's really no doubt that it did well because I mean, for that week, there was nothing else being talked about. It was right. all over the internet. It's just how well exactly did it do? And I, I don't know that they're going to give us that answer, but well, and for them do well really means Lord subscribers, you mm -hmm. know, like they're not making money off of each play. Um, they're making money from people who signed up for the service. So, exactly. um, and I know that for international, they had to cut a lot of deals, you know, with other international streaming services to get it to a global market. So I don't know how beneficial that was to HBO Max. Maybe they got money 
from um, like a Sky you know, Sky network over in the UK that carried it. You know, maybe they got money to to televise it that way. I'm not quite sure. But all of that is skeptical studio math, and I never really know what to believe. Hmm. So you touched on like the the publicist no-nos when you go to a set visit. Uh, is it is it different like going to the Army of the Dead set when you're going as just a just a media member and and when you're going as an author of a book? Or what's <laughs> what's what's the difference there like? Uh well at that point, no one really knew that I was the author of a book, you know, like at that point I was still just collecting a lot of research and, and starting to do some interviews and feel out how much of a story was, was there kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I, I didn't even have a book deal yet. Like my, that was October and I didn't get the book offer until December of that year. So that was really just like, you do a ton of, you know, even going into a book project like this, you do a lot of research to even just say like, is there something here? And a lot of it could get scrapped, you know, or sort of thrown out because it doesn't, I can think of a couple of things that like I, I researched and interviewed and wrote even, you know, half a chapter here and there <clears throat> that just ended up being avenues. I didn't go down in order to include it in this book. Uh, Cause they didn't pan out. They didn't pan out the way that you thought they were going to. So it's a lot of work that goes into uh, the process like this. And, um, and you're, you're shaping the whole narrative, you know, the whole time. And, and it, mm-hmm. it never actually finishes, <laughs> to be honest with you. You just end up turning the book in. Um, but you can work on it forever. So it's, it's kind of like a director of a movie says, you know, it's never 100% complete. Exactly. Especially when you think of the number of things that have happened for the Snyder Cut uh, mm-hmm. movement and film from the time that I turned the book in. Like, the hardest part has been having to say, okay, this is this is this section of the story, but there's plenty more to the story, you know, that has happened since. And uh, oh, oh yeah, I'm yeah. sure you could write a whole nother book. Yeah, I mean that's that's uh, <laughs> that has been suggested. I might leave, <laughs> I might leave that to somebody else. Uh, hey, we'd read it. Just saying. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Well, um, so how is the book doing? Uh, how's the feedback you've been getting? Is it is it moving well? What's what's the what's the status of the book? I am blown away by um, how well the book is doing. Um, it, it is. I mean, I, I've never done this before, so I don't know. You know what should even I should even aim for? Um, but I see a lot of metrics, numerical metrics for like first time authors, and the book has done you know a lot better than than those. That makes me really happy. I mean, more mm-hmm. than anything, I'm looking at the I'm looking at the rating on on Amazon right now. It has 108 ratings, and it's at four four and a half out of five. Like that's ridiculous. I'm I'm thrilled. You know, I all I want is for the people in the movement, you know, to feel like it captured the story, uh, that it captured the story well, and that you know, that it's a good keepsake for the work that they feel they put in for the past three years, um, because. I had no clue, you know, I it was not that I was writing it blind, but uh, the book could have come out and they could have, they could have read through it and said like, Oh God, this was, you missed the point com- completely. Um, so, yeah, I tried to try to be as honest as I could. And I tried to be as, as forthright as I could. And I, 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 I'm happy with the response so far. Uh, I'm really, really happy with it. That's awesome. Yeah. The, I got mine from Amazon. I think most, most of my mutuals did, but it also sells at, at Barnes and Noble, if I'm correct. It does. Um, and then there's even a website, bookshop.org. Um, let me go to it right now. I know that the the publisher did their first run, uh, like they printed out however many copies. Uh, I want to say it was like 2,500 copies. And the first run is gone. Like they, they sold out of that, which I'm thrilled. I'm totally thrilled about but the one thing that's been frustrating about it is that I know a lot of people uh, are waiting on it, and especially internationally. And this is another part where COVID has just kind of destroyed um, the distribution chains and things that have to sort of ship overseas are held up or, um, <clears throat> you know, that's been an issue. So I know that there's plenty of people, <coughs> excuse me, in markets like the UK that are waiting for their order. They were They had been pushed back to like April 1st as it was. And I know I've been getting some messages from people who are saying like, it's still not there. Yeah. I went to bookshop.org and it says it's on back order. It's temporarily out of stock. So um, I don't think honestly that my publisher was prepared for the amount of interest that was going to be in this book. 
And I know that they're sort of racing behind the scenes to sort of meet that need. And it's a really good problem. It's a tremendous problem to have, you know, but I was about like, to say, yeah, that's a, that's a good problem. <laughs> but I don't really, I'm frustrated because I don't want people to have to wait for it. And like, I know you can grab the Kindle yeah. version that's readily available. And since mm-hmm. starting on April 27th, we have a, an audiobook version of it that's coming. Um, that George Newbern, who's the voice of Superman in a lot of the animated uh, pictures, he's the one who's reading it for me, which is uh, phenomenal to get him. I'm thrilled to have been able to, to get him. So those are sort of instantaneous ways that people will be able to get it. And I won't have to rely so much on outside shipping, which has been a real headache, uh, and especially especially in this time of, of a pandemic. So. Yeah, that's I, I I think you're reading my mind because the Audible version was, was next up on my notes that I was going <laughs> to ask you about. Um, yeah, I... I was really excited about this. I've I've already pre-ordered it um, on Audible because I just think it's awesome that you got George Newbern. It's going to be fantastic to to listen to Superman read me this book. <laughs> so how how did that process go? How did you end up with with George Newbern? Well, for a long time, I, it was almost Ray Porter. Um, and mm. Ray is just Ray makes a living, you know, reading audiobooks as well too. He does a lot of that um, as his work. And he and I were going back and forth and. Honestly, we went through a, a ton of different um, audiobook producers who wanted the rights to this book. And we were uh, shopping around deals and and going back and forth with different deals. And we ended up going with the company um, that, that is able to get it on Audible. I wanted to get it on Audible because I knew that that's a, a portal that most people use. Mm-hmm. I think we waited too long and Ray had to take up too, too many other jobs. And essentially when we, when we finally got to the point where we were able to try to book him, he just was book solid. And, you know, I love that for him. I'm super glad that he's staying as busy as he is, but he had to sort of mm-hmm. decline from taking it at that point. So then um, the company that bought the rights to the book came back around with just authors who are in there or um, audio book readers who are in their stable. And George Newbern happened to be one of them. And as soon as I saw his name, I was like, oh my God, please, please go out <laughs> to him um, and see if he's able to do it. And it's all just scheduling. It's a, you know, he was, he was able to do it. And, and then um, he sent out a really nice tweet a couple of weeks back. Cause I know that he had finished the work and, and had read through it and said, you know, he was truly honored to, to read the book and, and to see, and to learn more about, you know, all that the movement has done and, and, and the, the charitable work that they've done it for. So I am, I'm beyond thrilled that he's part of it. Yeah, well, me and Joe were talking about that before we started recording. And if you can't get Dark Side, I mean, <laughs> Superman, <laughs> Superman's a pretty good number too, right? <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. And it, a lot of this just speaks to this project. I swear, um, just things have happened for a reason, you know, like things have snapped into place. And so when you tell me that, like, there's going to be an audio version of it, and the company that signs it happens to have George Newbern as a client, it's like. Well, I guess that's another, yet another thing that is happening for a reason. Awesome. Um, so I know you have an upcoming project as well, and uh, I, uh, Joe's very interested in that, so I'm going to let him take this one. He's He's got a question for you on that. Well, I just from following you on Twitter and, and you know, seeing some of your posts. So you are a fan of the Mark Webb Spider-Man films, aren't you? I am. Yeah, I, yeah absolutely. And, and I, I'm actually a big fan of those. So is your next project... Um, if you want to talk about your next project and maybe go into how you, uh, you know, came to love the the Mark Webb films, because I mean, it's, it's almost like an unpopular opinion at this point to like those films, but I, I do have a lot of love for those films and, and Andrew Garfield, especially as Spider-Man and, you know, the, the chemistry he has with, with Emma Stone and as Gwen Stacy. So I, I really love to hear you talk about that. Yeah. Well, so the next book is, is a much bigger um, topic and it's, it's Spider-Man's entire run through Hollywood um, because I, I made an argument in trying to figure out like, like what a follow-up book was going to be because the publisher that, that did Snyder cut wanted to keep working with me. And my agent was telling me to sort of burrow down on, on a topic that I would want to write about. And I just love Spider-Man so much as a character. He's always been my favorite character. And so I have a deep you know, affinity for every live action version of him. Um, and I find things to love in the different interpretations, you know, and things to, to, to disagree with as well too. But I, th- I thought Andrew was phenomenal as Spider-Man. So the book is called With Great Power. And it's essentially assuming that like 
if we're in this golden age of comic book movies, which I think the past 20 years have kind of been as good as it's ever going to get, you know, for this genre, uh, and it's, it'll continue to grow, but this has been pretty remarkable. Um, that Spider-Man has been the most successful uh, and most influential for, for different reasons. Like I write about Spider-Man at the Spider-Verse uh, winning, winning the Oscar for best animated feature. And I write about the fact that, you know, bringing Spider-Man into the MCU helped uh, helped Endgame become the highest grossing film of all time and how he's the only character to sort of bridge multiple studios. But what I wanted to do is in sort of tracing his history and figuring out how he became so influential is to really just stop at each point along his journey and explore and, and talk you know in depth <clears throat> about what people learned from the movies that they put together. So it, it goes as far back, the book so far right now, through all my research, is going as far back to um, Nicholas Hammond and the 1970s TV shows, which is those sort of first live action interpretations of them, uh, and the Japanese Spider-Man show that was happening right along the same time, to, you know, the different ways that people tried to figure out how to, how to do a Spider-Man film that fell apart before we got to the Raimi films. Um, but then, you know, in sort of talking about the franchise of, of Raimi, it, it was comic books still trying to figure out how to even make a superhero franchise. Like nobody really knew what a franchise was, uh, how to do proper sequels, um, and then how to reboot. You know, like Spider-Man's a fascinating character because unlike, I guess, Batman and Superman are two of the ones that have had previous lives and, and have had to, to adjust to reboots. With Spider-Man, there's been three of them. You know, you've you've had Toby's version, you've had Andrew, which had to start over and do something different, and then you get Tom Holland, which had to do even more different stuff. So at each step of the way, I'm sort of figuring out really interesting stories. And with Andrews in particular, if you're a big fan of those, the ones that I'm really trying to figure out, and I've talked to uh, Matt Tallmack, the producer, and I'd, I'd done interviews with uh, Avi Arad, who was responsible for some really good decisions, and I understand some bad decisions with Avi as well, too, uh, in Spider-Man's history. But, like, Andrew's enthusiasm, like, I, I have a whole chapter about just him going to San Diego Comic-Con that first time and surprising people uh, at the microphone. Oh, yeah. Uh, wearing that costume. And, uh, you know, I got a lot of behind the scenes um, interviews with with Tom Mack and Avi about like, just how much they were terrified of that idea. <laughs> like Andrew <laughs> sort of brought that idea up to them like days before Comic-Con, where he was like, hey, wouldn't it be a good idea if I did this? And they were like, no, <laughs> not at all. Like, do you understand the logistical, you know, security nightmare that this would be? And you know, they were super nervous about introducing a new Spider-Man. You know, this was going to, it was a huge jump from Toby to this. And, uh, and what they had to really bet on was that the fans were going to dial into the love that Andrew has for the character. And, and he just sold it, you know, by reading that, that speech that he wrote, uh, that deeply personal speech. And I think that that, I think that that day, and part of the reason why I made it into its own chapter is that that day and that introduction and the way that he just wears his heart on his sleeve uh, personifies everything that they accomplished in those two Mark Webb films. Like they're flawed, you know, and and they the second one in particular had to carry the weight of of laying out an entire franchise that never came to be. Um, mm. But but I'll never fault Andrew for his approach to Spider Man. Like he just was, he was so enthusiastic. And I'll always love Amazing Spider Man too because I believe that. The death of Gwen Stacy is, you know, one of the most uh, emotionally satisfying, you know, though devastating uh, chapters in Spider-Man's history. And they did it. You know, they they pulled it off. Um, they hurried through it. <laughs> they hurried through it a bit with a Green Goblin introduction. But it's it's really effective the way that Mark Webb did it and the way that Andrew sells it. And um, yeah, there's a lot to love about those films. Awesome. Well, it sounds like you have a lot of passion for that. Uh, when when do you think we can we can look for that? Uh, late next year. And again, this is sort of the publishing schedule. Um, I'm spending mm -hmm. this entire year uh, connecting, uh, collecting as many interviews as I can for it. Um, and the thing is, it's it's so much bigger than Snyder Cut. Um, it's such a, a a broader topic, but it's been it's right. been a ton of fun. I, like I enjoy the process of. Um, tracking people down and sort of convincing them to uh to come on record and talk 
And so, so far, like I said, I did several hours with Avi and we went, you know, from, from top to bottom, you know, from, from his early days at Marvel to putting together, you know, I mean, Avi hired Kevin Feige, you know, like Feige was an mm. assistant on X-Men for Lauren, Laura Shuler, Shuler Donner, Lauren Shuler Donner. And, um, and Avi was like, can I take this kid? Like he's super enthusiastic and I want to use him at Marvel. Um, so his history with this goes, goes so far back. And so I also just recently did um, an interview with uh, Christopher Marcus, who's half of Marcus and McFeely, who wrote, you know, Civil War and Infinity War and Endgame. And I got so many great stories about, you know, them being able to bring Spider-Man into the MCU and, and all of that. So, um, yeah, the whole journey has been amazing, but I still have the rest of this year to write it. I have to turn it into the publishers in, Jan in January. And truthfully, mm -hmm. I'm now looking at this Spider-Man No Way Home, you know, to see, like, is this going to be multiverse Spider-Man? You know, is this going to be Toby and Andrew together alongside Tom? And and am I going to be <laughs> putting together one final chapter on this manuscript <laughs> before I turn it in? <laughs> looks, because it could it looks be like history may repeat itself. <laughs> yeah, right. I, I mean, all of a sudden, it looks like in my in my radar there could be what, you know, what might potentially be the biggest Spider-Man movie ever made. Um, so I'm, I have to be ready for that. Well, that is awesome. And we're definitely, lo definitely looking forward to that. Uh, I also wanted to touch on with, with the release of Snyder cut book, you have been very gracious about, uh, um, personalizing the books. I sent you my copy. You personalized it for myself and the podcast. So I wanted to thank you for that. Um, and is that, is that still going on? Are you still doing that for folks? I am. Yeah. Uh, I, I have a PO box that people can, if they want to hit me up on a direct message on Twitter, I can get you that PO box and, uh, yeah. And people just put a note in, in with the book. So you send a copy of the book to me, essentially, um, let me know how you would like me to personalize it. And then, um, I send it back to you, you send it with a self-addressed stamped envelope. And then I send it, I send it right back to you. Um, it's, it has been the most efficient way to do it. Like I, I really went back and forth with, and, and a lot of this is just because I'm not able to try, like I, I would dream of going around to different places uh, and being able to visit with people and actually talk to people uh, face to face. But right now this seems to be the most efficient way to do it. Um, I do hope that someday, because Cinema Blend, the website that I write for has a really great partnership with AMC theaters. And I would love to sponsor some screenings of Justice League, you know, and and have fans come and watch it, and then meet them afterwards and sign the book. But um, that would we shall see. We shall see if the world ever opens back up again in a proper proper fashion. Well, I hope so. Um, but Sean, we've we've kept you for almost an hour now. Uh, thank you so much for your time. We want to be respectful of it. Um, you mentioned that you write for Cinema Blend. Would you tell us about that? Tell us all about your podcast and, and where the folks can find you online. Absolutely. And first off, thanks guys for having me. This was a ton of fun, really great conversation. Um, Cinema Blend's a, a daily entertainment website. You can come to us for all your movie and television needs. Uh, we hope that you bookmark us and check us out. Uh, I do the Real Blend podcast with two of my really great friends. It's a weekly show where we talk about entertainment news, but it has become over the past year and a half or so, a great place for uh, directors come on board. We do a ton of interviews with directors because they just like a longer form sort of podcast uh, setting where, you know, you do a traditional junket and the two guys who I do the, the podcast with are uh, regular junket interviewers. You could do four minutes with each person and it's bite-sized for television. Directors hate that. Like they just can't get <laughs> to all the things that they want to get to in that short amount of time. Uh -huh. so we have opened it up, you know, and we've invited a lot of people to come on board and we get 20 minutes, 30 minutes here and there. And it's become a really great place for them to sit down and, and talk craft and, and get into the nuances of their film. We were lucky enough to have Zach come on and talk about, uh, Snyder cut. When it opened, we had Patty Jenkins come on for Wonder Woman 1984. Uh, Christopher Nolan came on, uh, you know, when he released tenants. So, um, we're super proud of real blend and people should check it out if they like film podcasts. Amazing. Thank you so much. Uh, again, uh, we, we hope you can come on again sometime. We, in fact, I'd love to talk to you, even though this is a Batman podcast, I think I can make an <laughs> exception about that Spider-Man book you've got coming. So that, that's awesome. I'd love to come back. Thank you guys, man. I, appreciate, I really appreciate it. Awesome. Thank Thanks. you very much.
So there we are, our discussion with Sean O'Connell. Uh, man, Joe, that was that was a really good conversation. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, it was really nice of him to come on and uh, and really you know and join us and and really dive into the the book and you know give us some some behind the scenes stuff on what he was thinking about and you know what made him do everything and it was it was really fun. Well, and and the fact that I really enjoyed him talking about the fact that if the movie wouldn't have come out, he still wanted this to happen. Like it, it, when he started writing this, it seems like he didn't think it was going to happen. He just wanted to give the movement and all the good that, that the people in the movement did the light of day. So I, I think that that really says a lot about Sean. That's, that's really cool. Absolutely. And that's what we were talking about. Like it's, it's so weird to go back and think like we, we knew about this book well before it was announced. And I couldn't even imagine what it would have been like reading this book without the knowledge of the movie coming out because the book became a celebration as opposed to just a, a discussion on a movement that for lack of a, excuse me, for lack of a better term, it would have been a, not a failure, but like, it just would have been a, what's the word I'm looking for. It just would have been a, an attempt at something that really never came to fruition. So it's so nice to, to really know that this book was a celebration and, and we got the, you know, the, you know, the, the victory lap. Yeah, absolutely. And man, he, He's a geek just like us, man. You can tell he has so much passion for that upcoming Spider-Man project. I mean, again, this is a Batman podcast, but his passion for that gets me excited to read that book. Yeah, and it's funny because, you know, we have this stupid, you know, manufactured rivalry between Marvel and DC. And yeah, this is a Batman podcast, and I think we we can all agree that we're definitely DC first, but it's it's completely fine to like both. And, you know... I respect the hell out of someone that's a huge, you know, Spider-Man fan and Marvel fan first, but he was the one that took the, you know, the release, the Snyder cut movement and, and wrote the book about it and, and really gave it some coverage. And I, I look forward to sharing this book with other people and, and, you know, bringing this to the light and yeah, it's, I really look forward to his Spider-Man book because again, it's, that's going to be one where I'm not as in the know because I didn't follow all that stuff as closely as I did with this. No, for sure. Yeah, that's a, that's going to make that more fascinating. And you kind of you kind of had me under the impression that it was just going to be about the Mark Webb movies, and I had no idea that he was going to be talking about like the entire cinematic journey of Spider Man. So that's that's going to be really awesome. Yeah, I didn't know that either. I honestly thought it was going to be more about just the web films because I know he he just talks about them a lot because they don't really get the love that they just, in my opinion, that they deserve and. Uh, so I guess I just took it as that, but um, it'll, yeah, it'll be cool to, to see all the history of the Spider-Man films. Mm, absolutely. But so far as his current book, the release, the release, the Snyder cut, it is now available on Amazon. It is available on the, I can't remember. What was the website that he mentioned? Do you remember Joe? Oh God, put me on the spot. Uh, no, I do not. Remember. Okay. Well, I will. I will link it in the show notes. It will, it, but it is available at Amazon. It is available at Barnes and Noble, and as we mentioned on the interview, the Audible version is coming later this month on the twenty seventh, I believe, and it is narrated by Superman himself, George Newbern. So if you haven't read the book, check it out. It's a, it's a really good one. But that's where we're going to close it out today. So Joe, why don't you tell everybody where they can find you? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram as jforn11, on Facebook as Joe Forno, and on Vero as Joseph-Fornarato, F-O-R-N-A-R-O-T-T-O. Awesome. And th- thanks again, man. This was this was really fun. Thank you for coming on. Oh, thank you for having me. It was it was great to be a part of this and it was really it was really nice to, you know, have Sean on and, and get to interview someone like that for for something as close to our hearts as this is. For sure. And if you'd like to find me, you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and Vero at MeCarter89. That's M-E-Carter89. And again, if you'd like to find the show, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at TFRBatPod. Please email the show if you have any questions at tfrbatpod at gmail.com. And if you wouldn't mind, go on Apple Podcasts and give us a rating and a review. We'd really appreciate it. And until next time, as Batman says, faith, Alfred, faith.
was created by Bill Finger and Bob Kane. The Fire Rises, a Batman podcast, is in no way associated with AT&T, Warner Brothers, or DC Comics. The thoughts and opinions expressed by the participants are solely theirs and do not represent the companies that they work for. Thank you for listening. She tied you to a kitchen chair.